Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Conversation with Shelby Green, and I have to let you guys know that this will be the last Wednesday edition of this show. Coming to you from my studio, happy 4th of July, everyone as I record this on a Tuesday on July 4th. Um, Playing simple, guys, as I get up and shut my door real quick. Excuse me real quick. All right, y'all, I'm back. So, plain and simple, guys, um, due to scheduling with my job, it's been kind of difficult getting this the Wednesday show out. Like, right now, I'm getting it out on Tuesday because I'm up and I got a little time because I'm on call tonight for work. I might be working tonight. Um, it's a little more difficult for me because it's just working five days a week instead of four and working 11 to 9, going to the gym, trying to figure shit out. It's been very, very difficult for me to get a show out to you guys. So that being said, um, plain and simple, guys, we're going to start starting next week on Thursdays. We're I'm going to be dropping a podcast every Thursday with you guys. Um, it will be on Thursday at nine o'clock in the morning. We're not switching times. We're just going to push it back to Thursdays now, and it is what it is on that. So yeah. That being said, guys, what do I have planned for today for the show? First off, I want to thank everyone who listened to last week's show. I appreciate all the f- feedback. So what we got to talk about today? We are going to talk about The Flash, a spoiler review, so that is what it is. I mean, I would, I'm would i just giving you a fair warning because a lot of people haven't seen the fucking movie. My thoughts on DC and where it currently stands with that. And we're going to review WWE Money Bank, and I have a surprise announcement that I'm going to try and I'm going to do out of you for my own entertainment that I'm not making any money out of. I want to repeat that. I'm not making no money off that. That being said, let's talk about The Flash. So, <clears throat> as I take a swig of Mountain Dew for the working man. Um, in a red solo cup. Ha ha, I fill you up. Also, condole, Toby Keith had his little um, concert the other night. I've seen that he's recovering from his from cancer. I mean, good luck to Toby on that. Anyway, as I keep um, thinking about, you know, when I went to see The Flash, everybody knows me. I am a huge DC Comics fan. I like comic books in general, but I'm more DC than Marvel. Always have been, always will be. And I walked into The Flash, hearing good things about it. Piss poor box office performance. Everybody talks. You know, I've been talking about this film. That being said, let's talk about it. So, everybody wants to point to filler the the fact of Ezra Miller's legal troubles are the reason why this film is the way it is. Blah blah blah. I don't think so. I don't think it's because Ezra Miller's um, things he did, the allegations against him. Um, I think it's more to less of the fact that. The film had had DC is going through a current change of everything. They brought in let's let's do the timeline for you. Zack Snyder in 2013 starred Man of Steel, the Henry Cavill Superman movie that I think is a damn shame we never got a sequel to. I am a big fan of Man of Steel. <clears throat> and plain and simple, um, I like Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice a lot, especially the ultimate cut. My favorite Batman ever was Ben Affleck. Uh, then we got the Suicide Squad movie, which was a complete other other fucking mess. We got Wonder Woman that started going to track. And that was kind of the end of things where we got the, then we got the Justice League deal. The Justice League film that was made by Josh Whedon. That Warner Brothers totally fucked up and screwed up. And ever since then, divide, conquer, everything's happened. So, that being said, I am just so annoyed with Warner Brothers right now. I know what they're trying to do with James Gunn and Peter Savant are trying to do. They are trying to get things right. I understand that. I get it, and I'm I'm rooting for James. I think James is going to do a lot of great things. If you go back into my archives, chapter one, you say that episode I talked about. That I listened. We listened to the whole audio of James Gunn, and he talking about you know what his plans for DC were for the next five to ten years. He had a chapter planned out, what he was going to do, and James had a lot of great ideas and a lot of the films I like what he's seeing. Now that with that being said, I was really looking forward to the Flash. I felt like The Flash was going to be a good film that had a lot of potential. They were talking about teasing the Flashpoint, Flash messing with the multiverse, 
Bregan, you know, they do the Barry Allen storyline of him trying to go save his mother from being killed to prove that his father is innocent. They did that in this film. So I thought, okay. And we saw the teasers that we were getting Michael Keaton's Batman. We were like, hey, Michael Keaton's Batman. There was rumor that there was a lot of rumors of cameos. That being said, I will let you know this. The more and more I think about this movie, the more and more I don't like it. To the point where I'm sitting there thinking like, the CGI in this is so bad. that To the point where there's scenes. There's a hospital scene where Barry Allen's saving a, a hospital from collapsing with Ben Affleck. By the way, I will let you know, the opening of this film proves that Ben Affleck is the greatest Batman ever. Just the opening, what he does in the opening of this film is just awesome. Um, you see um, some cameos in this, but back to what I was saying. Because Warner Woman shows up a cameo in this. Um, you hear and you see, you know, you see uh, Jeremy Irons, Alfred. The last time you'll see him, you see Ben Affleck in this. You see him um, in this film for the last time as well. That's sad to me because Affleck never got a solo film that I thought he deserved and he should have gotten. But obviously that didn't happen. Unfortunately, it never is going to come out. Ben is done as Batman. He made that real clear he's done. So anyway, so um, basically, as they're saving these babies from the hospital collapse, and the CGI on these babies, they, I mean, it's just dog shit. Everything looks the way it is. Now, the flash, the flash sequence was great, but overall, it was nothing. You see the tease of Barry trying to go back in time. Him and Affleck have a one-on-one meeting, and they're talking about the multiverse and him going back in time. Um, Flash does that. He meets his he meets his his other self in the other timeline, and then of course you know it brings back General Zod and all these other people. There's no metahumans. They find Cal. Uh, they find Superman. Uh, Superman's cousin, Super uh, Supergirl, whatever. She's in this, and it's to the point where I'm just like you know I'm watching this, and wow, there are some great things. I mean, Keaton is really Keaton and Ben Affleck stole the show in this. I think for their minimum time, you see Affleck for about five minutes. And he does a great job. Fantastic job. And then you see Keaton. Keaton, it was great to see Michael Keaton back as Batman. It was fantastic to see him back. And, and you know, it is what it is. In my opinion, Keaton, is the, Keaton and Affleck are one and two of the greatest cinematic Batmans we've ever seen. Yes, suck it, Christian Bell fans. I've always said and I will continue to say that Christian Bell is overrated as Batman. That being said, what did I not like about this film? I didn't like how General Zod was kind of an asshole in this. He wasn't a soft dictator, like a soft, mellow dictator. He was kind of an asshole some of his acting. So like some of his acting was forced. Um, there was also a lot of things in this film where I thought, you know, there was a lot of shit that was cut. A lot of things were cut from this movie. And unfortunately, it's going to be a big loss to the point where we're not going to see... Uh, we're, a lot of these people we're never going to see again. We're not going to see Henry Cavill Superman. We're not going to see anything. And unfortunately, there's nothing that happens to this film where I go like, I want to see more of this, blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, this is the final film of the DECU, what the, the DCEU, the extended universe they were going to do. And unfortunately, it sucks. They're done. And they basically, DC's doing a... Uh, Basically, DC's doing a soft reboot, and it is what it is. So, on a, um, as I'm talking about this film and everything else, unfortunately, they cut so much out of this film, I think would have helped it. And unfortunately, the original ending we were going to get and the post credit scene we were going to get, we didn't get. I hate the fucking ending in this film we got. Uh, Barry Allen returns. Everything's back to normal. And Bruce Wayne calls him on the phone, and he's going to meet him, and out comes George Clooney as Bruce Wayne. Instead of Ben Affleck, and it, and then you see, there's a scene where uh, Barry lost a tooth, and he glued his tooth back, and he smiled, and his tooth fell out. A little comedy, and it ends. And then you get a post credit scene with um, <clears throat> a post credit scene with uh, Barry Allen walking out Aquaman as he's he's got Aquaman on his shoulder. He falls drunk face first into a puddle, and falls asleep, and Barry walks away. It just teases the Aquaman movie we're gonna get later this year. So this is and <clears throat> so basically this is the end of this DC extended universe. Everybody knows Blue Beetle is the first film that starts off the new DC the way everyone talks. And anyway, so here we go. Out of scale of one to ten, where do I rank the? What do I put it for a, a Flash? And I'm gonna be really modest. I'm giving this film a six out of ten. 
I had a lot of issues with it, and I just felt like it's a C plus or B minus movie. It's unfortunate what happened with it. Very disappointed. So that being said, that being said, there are, as I look on this Wikipedia screen, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 14. There are 14 DC films, and what do I rank them? So we're going to do a little, since it's an end of an era, I thought, why not throw this ranking this ranking out there? We're going to do it right here, right now. So coming at the bottom of the barrel, the worst film in this fucking franchise, in this little DC universe, obviously it's the 2017 Justice League film, the Justice League film that Josh Whedon came up with. I hate this fucking movie. I've watched it once in theaters. I have never watched it again, and I play on never watching it again. I actually stopped buying buying Blu-rays because I don't. I didn't want to add this film to my collection. If anybody knows me, till about that point, I had a massive Blu-ray collection going on. I had a lot of Blu-rays, and I absolutely stopped doing this because of what happened. And this is just it's just facts remaining that I just absolutely, absolutely. Just hate this fucking. I hate that fucking movie. I hate it. I hate it. I don't like it at all. The next film on the list, as we talked about, fourteen. The number thirteen coming in. I'm gonna go with Black Adam. I'm not a fan of it. I thought Black Adam would have been a good. Why do? Uh, here's the thing. Why does Sony and Marvel and DC? <clears throat> I say Sony because Sony because they got the, the Spider Verse going. <clears throat> Why can't we? Get a villain origin story. Why do we? Everybody does. Everybody has to be an anti-hero. Like, why can't we just get a villain story? We made you made Black Adam basically to a god or a hero in this film. I like the Rock in it; he does a good job. I don't like Black Adam's suit. I, I don't like how the nut collar kind of stretches around his shoulder blades. Um, at this point, the post credit scene, the Black Adam and Superman tease and some, and we're never going to get that, and it's unfortunate. So, the next one on the list is Black Adam. Coming in right behind, right in front of Black Adam is Shazam: Fury of the Gods, the Shazam sequel. Um, I really, as you can see, I've announced Shazam in the 2019 film. I actually have that really high. That being said, I had a lot of expectations for this film. I thought the Shazam, the first film, as you see, I've announced it, which will be higher on this list, was way better. And I was very excited for this movie. I thought for sure that this would be the film that would, you know, okay, maybe this will give, because com- comic book movies have kind of gotten stale. Since COVID, comic book films have kind of gotten stale. I mean, the only, I mean, we had, you know, Marvel had the Infinity War, had their Avengers Infinity War, and their um, in-game film, and then they kind of slowed down a little bit with COVID. And then there, after COVID, the first comic book film, really, I believe, was released was the Snyder Cut. And the Snyder Cut, everybody was worldwide loving the film, and it is what it is, so... Um, yeah, the next, but back to this, the ranking, I think The Fury of Gods is, is a solid film. The thing that holds it back for me is Lucy Liu's acting in this as a villain is fucking atrocious. Is atrocious to the point where it's almost like, I don't want to watch it no more. You just want to skip the scene she's in. It's that bad. So that's the next one. It's coming in at number 11. Where are we going to go? We're going to go with Wonder Woman 1984. Another, Actually, this came out Christmas of 2020 on Christmas Day on HBO Max. And I got to admit, this is a very letdown. This was a letdown from the moment. Didn't like it at all. Um, I thought for sure that, <clears throat> you know, the Wonder Woman, the film was the first film of the DC, this DC universe that was universally loved and... I just did not like 84. I thought it was a campy film. I did like that we got Cheetah. I didn't think we got enough of her. Um, you know, I got the, the villain that escapes me that the play. Oh, my God. You know what I'm talking about. Make a wish. It was just everything was just it was more of Wonder Woman talking to people and being a leader instead of her using what she was in the original film, the, the film, the first film, where she was a badass and everybody saw Gail Gadot for what she was. Saw so, the next one. So coming up next, guys, we got the uh, the wrestling ranking. Where do I after that? So I said, "Hold on, a I'm sorry. Hold on a second, guys. My phone. Somebody just text me." <laughs> you get everything on this show. Sorry. Right, so coming in at number ten at the bottom of the barrel, number ten. I'm gonna go with. 
The Flash. Now, everybody says top 10. How could it be? Well, I'm just not a fan of this. Like I said, a disappointment from the cutscenes and everything else. You want to go back and listen to the review. Back up about three seconds. You'll find out. Um, number nine, we got to go with this, the, the first Suicide Squad film. When that film went out in theaters and saw it, I actually liked it. I actually thought it was a good time and everything else. The more older I get, the more I see the problems with it. Unfortunately, we'll never see the air cut that everybody has said is really good, and it's unfortunate. We're never going to see that. Coming in at number eight, we are going to go... I should have thought about this more, but number eight. And the, usually, the, like, number eight, we're going to go with Shazam. I do like Shazam a lot. I think it's a really good film. It's very campy comedy. It's kind of a Marvel film. Uh, Shazam is very goofy and off-centered a little bit with a lot of things. As you just hear a firecracker go off in the background. But... <clears throat> It's a good film. I watch it from time to time when I get when I'm in the mood for a good laugh. And I will say, uh, Levi, whatever is really good as Shazam. Um, now we go to the bottom. Now the all these films next. The top, the next films on top. One, two, three. Four or five. The next films on top, uh, seven. These next seven films, I am generally a huge fan of. I will watch any of these seven films any day of the week. So coming to number seven, we're gonna go with the Birds of Prey film and the fabulous interpretation of one Harley Quinn. I am a fan of this movie. I went. This actually, this is the last film in 2020 I saw in the theater till I saw Candyman a year, almost a year and a half later. <clears throat> I did like this movie. I felt like it relied a lot on. The cussing in it to make it a radar film. Um, obviously, um, uh, Ian McGregor, uh, sorry, Obi Wan, I call him Obi Wan, as Black Mask was fucking awesome. Um, I love the casting for Black Canary. I love, the, I mean, just everything in this film. I really, and I love the way it's shot. And obviously, Sidewalk Margaret Robbie was meant to be Harley Quinn. It was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Coming in at number six, and I'm going to go with, do-do-do-do-do, what am I going to go with, y'all? I'm going to go with Aquaman. I like Aquaman. Um, Jason Momoa kicks a lot of ass in this film. I think he's really, really good in this. It proves that, I mean, Jason Momoa won me over with his performance in Game of Thrones, and then I saw him in other films. I mean, he's done a lot of, like, films, but I like, Game of Thrones was really the first thing that made me go, like, damn, this dude's really good. So... But Aquaman's really good. It is really long. James Wan directs it. I don't know what the sequel's going to be. We've heard really dog shit things about that film. But that being said, I definitely, definitely like I definitely like Aquaman in this. And I think it's a really good film. And also, it's really good casting all around. Just from Black Mantis to Aquaman's brother. Everything is really good in this. Top five, baby. Here we go. So coming in at number five. We're going to go with Batman vs. Randon Justice. And I'm going to include the Ultimate Edition in this because that is more the film that I know. The complete film. And I will say this. The Ultimate Edition is a lot of fan. All the plot holes we had in this, that film, you see come to uh, the full fruition. Pardon part Full away. You see a lot of the issues that everybody was talking about to what it was. And... I still believe that this is a really watchable film. If you want to see a badass performance by a Batman, Ben Affleck, that warehouse scene that you see after his fight with Superman is the most cinematic, badass Batman scene you will ever see because it's all about Batman. It's not about anybody else but him, and he is on a sole purpose to do whatever he can, and that is my that 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 is the Batman from the comics that I love. And I got the the one thing that I hate, there, there's a lot, of, there's a couple mixed things about this that I will say, but the one thing I hate is the Martha part. That Martha scene, there could have been something else going to use. And I'm not a fan of Amy Adams and the scene where she gets rid of the, the crypt, Krypton spirit, spirit and then she comes back all of a sudden realizes that they need it, which made no fucking sense in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but oh well. Top four, baby. Now these are the four, when I say head and shoulders, these are the four films that I think defy with this one and number four for me plain and simple I'm gonna roll with plain and simple. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go ugh, I can't talk I'm gonna go with Man of Steel unfortunately we'll never get a sequel to this but I think this film gets way too much shit from what it was Man of Steel to me was badass it was a dark Superman film that had a different take um, Henry Cavill was really good in this General Zod is really good in this it kicked off a franchise and a, a university tried to, and Zack Snyder did a really good job with this. There were some plot holes in it. It was a different type of origin story 
for Superman. I mean, the Kevin Costner death in it was really fucking stupid, but it's still a good time. You, I mean, you want to talk about? I want to point it out. Zack Snyder, when it comes to uh, cinematography fighting, you go back and watch his Watchmen film. That is what you look at those films. Like Snyder knows how to choreograph films, and I still give man still watch every time it's on. If it, I see if I'm not if I'm going through comic book films on HBO on Max now, and I want to watch something. I definitely will go with Man of Steel. I'm going with it. So top three, baby. Here we go. Number three, I'm going to go with Wonder Woman, the the first film. Um, the film that was universally the first film in this extended universe that was accepted. And I still see why. Uh, Gal Gadot is fucking awesome in this. I love the whole Hades as the villain. You find out who he really is. And it's just everything. The final sequence, um, the battle ramp on the, uh, the airport ramp uh, runway was awesome. And it's just, I'm just a big fan of this film. I love, and actually, I'm a really big fan of the cinematography, how it's shot, from where it goes from her is the Amazonian ways to how it goes with the, um, as I snap my fingers, to how it is in the early 19, in the early World War One. And I just thought it was really, really badass. And also, I think Gil Gadot won a lot of fans over with her acting. Top two, here we go. And number two. The Suicide Squad, the film that came out in 2021 by James Gunn that was directed and wrote by him. And I will say this, this was a damn good Suicide Squad film. It did feel like in some scenes it felt like Guardians of the Galaxy. That's my one big complaint with it. But I do say for a film that kills a lot of guys off and gives us new characters, new directions, I was a huge fan of this film. And I still believe, I, w- I didn't go see it in the theaters, but me and my buddy Jared Easterbrook watched it on HBO Max. And I just thought it was a, a damn good movie. From a comic book fan standpoint, we got what we wanted. So that means number one, this, yes, it's a Snyder cut. The Snyder's Justice League, to me, it is the best film that came out in this thing. This, this extended universe, I continue to stand by that. The tease of Dark Side, the tease of Steppenwolf, the tease of everything we were going to get, and unfortunately, we're never going to see. And it's just, uh, it's just sad because we could have seen a, one of the best comic book films, in my opinion, to come out in the last 10 years or 5, 10 years, is never going to have a sequel to it. It's just a damn shame. So, that being said, guys, where do I think DC goes from here? I think that James Gunn is the right guy to do a soft reboot for this. Now, there's a, there are some fans, and I want some DC fans to talk real quick. There are a lot of DC fans out there that are still clamoring for the Snyder Cut. They support Zack Snyder because he got done wrong. And I get it, and I, I'm with it, and I understand that. But they're also saying, we're not going to support James Gunn. This is bullshit. Here's the thing, guys. You're going to cost us a chance to really have something and it's going to be a monopoly where Marvel does all their shit. And I just don't want that. I think it's time because let me tell you something. If DC can get their shit right, then Dark Horse Comics can get their things right and we can get a Spawn film. We can get other fucking films that can kick off. Like We have to let this thing play out and let it roll because if you don't, you're never ever going to get another chance. James Gunn knows what he's doing. We all know we the Superman film will be the first film in 2025 to kick things off. We have heard that James Mangold is going to direct a radar horror version of Stomp, a Swamp Thing, which I am very excited for. We have heard that Andy uh, Mitchell, who is the director of um, The Flash, he is directing Batman Brave and the Bold. The only issue I have with that dude is he uses a lot of fucking CGI. There is going to be things they're going to do. They're going to fix this. They Peter Savant and... James Gunn are comic book fans. They've been fans for years. And you now they're going to connect everything, even with the cartoons and video games. They're going to connect everything now, which I'm hit or miss on because I'm like, DC does them. Nobody does a multiverse burden in DC. DC is the king of multiverse. So if Gunn wants to connect everything, that's fine. I just hope it. they just, you know, he knows what he's doing with it, man. I just hope he does. That being said, my faith is in James Gunn, Peter Savon to turn this thing around. I continue to support him. I will go see Blue Beetle in the theaters. I hope it will be a good movie. Um, yeah, I'm just rooting for him. Hopefully you do the right thing. It's the end of an era. And for the, um, the, the Justice League that we got, and for all those guys, just thank you guys for giving us an opportunity. Warner Brothers and uh, actually Snyder. Thanks for giving us a chance to see what we, we could have had. And it's unfortunate we're never going to get it. And it is what it is. Thank you. Now let's talk about WWE Money in the Bank. Here we rock and roll. So that being said, what did I think of Money in the Bank? 
as you heard of my Forbidden Door review, I had a lot of good things to say about AEW's Forbidden Door. I thought it was going to be probably the best show of the year for a lot of people. That being said, let's talk about Money in the Bank. Wow, this was a damn good pro wrestling show. So, um, I will say this. This is the highest grossing event in the history of WWE. They just keep breaking records, man. WWE is just knocking out of the ballpark with their records and their gates. So, anyway... So, we have seven matches on the card, and we're going to rock and roll. And also, London was hot. The O2, the, the O2 Arena was hot as hell. And by the way, I love their setup with their arena they're doing, where they have that entranceway where they can fill the whole bowl up in the arena. Um, I actually like that when they do it more for shows like that, for pay-per-views, because it gives you the feel of they're going to have this big atmosphere feel. I know WrestleMania is different. You need the big stage, but... In the Rumble, they go to baseball stadiums and certain other stadiums for it, and they cut an area off. Also, I would like to announce that I am going to SummerSlam. I'm very happy about that. Um, can't wait for that, to be honest with you. That being said, let's get right into it. The first match tonight, the Money in the Bank ladder match for the Men's Championship match contract. We have Damian Priest, Butch, L.A. Knight, Shinsuke Nakamura, Ricochet, Santos Escobar, and Logan Paul. This match went 20 minutes, 25 seconds. And I told myself, everybody online was bitching, Logan Paul's going to win it, blah, 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 everything else. And I was telling people in a lot of Twitter and a lot of tweets and a lot of Facebook talk, uh, Facebook messages and everything and, and just comments that LA Knight, a lot of people want LA Knight to win. And I'm one of them. I thought LA Knight should got a chance. But Damian Priest was going to win this. I knew Damian would be the guy. And turns out I was right. Um, highlights. Um, every guy I got their shine in this. I thought everybody did a good job. I like the fact that we got seven guys that were never former world champions <clears throat> and that were never world champions and got an opportunity in this. I thought that was awesome. Um, a couple things I wanted to hit on. Uh, we are now, we know that Logan Paul and Ricochet had that viral moment, the Royal Rumble, where they literally, literally knocked the living shit out of each other. And then, of course, Logan Paul and them had another viral moment. Ricochet had another viral moment when. They did a um, tip Cito over the, um, or whatever it is. I can't, what's the name of the, people know who the, the move is. I apologize. But basically, LA Knight was, shoves them off the ladder. Um, they don't get their footing on the, the ropes really well. And LA Knight, I mean, um, Logan Paul get, gets his footing and Ricochet grabs and they flip through two tables opposite way and they bout land on both of each other's necks. <sighs> Look, guys. Stunts in wrestling have been going on, and we're going to talk about a stunt here in wrestling at the end after I review this. But stunts have been going on for years in professional wrestling. They will continue to go on, unfortunately, the way it is. That being said, I just felt like it wasn't needed. You could have done something where they both got shoved off a ladder and went through the tables. It would have, made, it would have done better. Um, I actually like the finish of this. L.A. Knight's making a comeback. He's going to win. Damian Priest comes up and suplexes on the top rope and climbs up and grabs the, money, the briefcase contract. They're going to roll with Damian Priest. There's been teasing about breaking up the Judgment Day and everything else. I've been teasing that for a while. That being said, right guy won this in my opinion. I mean, WWE loves having ethnic baby faces going back to the 70s with Vince's dad. And Damian Priest is well-spoken. He's got a, His work rate is good. He has really, really good... Um, he has really good... Uh, he's really good on the microphone. He has good presence about him. He has charisma. And I could see Priest eventually becoming a world champion. Plain and simple. Second match of the night for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. We are going to have Ronda Rousey and Shannon Blaze, the champion versus Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. There have been rumors about Raquel winning the Women's Rumble and challenging Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania next year. I think that's probably the hunch they're going for. That being said, this was a solid match. They had a lot of good. They had a lot of good work done in this. And of course, everybody's talking about the shocking thing. Shayna turns on Ronda, knocks, beats up Ronda, chokes her out. Raquel hits her finish, and Liv hits her finish, and they pin Ronda in the middle of the ring for the with the one, two, three. And we have new women's tag team champions. Can I be honest with you? I know they've been flipping those titles around a lot, but can we get somebody to hang on these titles for five to six months? And get, honestly, the best tag team that had them were um, were uh, Shayna and fucking um, Shayna and Nia Jax. They actually did a really good job when they held the titles for I think longer than six months. Ever since then, I know that um, you had um, 
uh, Naomi and Shasha Banks or Mercedes Monet or Trinity, whatever you want to call them now. They won at WrestleMania the last at thir- WrestleMania thirty. No, what was it? WrestleMania in Dallas the, in twenty twenty one, and we all know what happened with that. Ever since then, they've been the titles been flipping back and forth, and unfortunately, they've had these. They've had the the, the women's tag titles in the main events. And they put them on Lita and um, Becky Lynch. They've done everything they can. I just feel like they need to. They need to do a reset with this, and they need to sit there. Not like a soft reboot. It's something to give this. Give that spark. And they're just not hitting. Also, their women divisions, the WWE's women division is still very talented, but I feel like it's hit it's hit like a it's gotten stale. And I think they need something. I don't know, it's just weird right now. But that being said, we did see on Raw the following night that Ronda and Shayna had a had a conversation, and there is rumors that Ronda is going to leave WWE permanently after this, and she's gonna work with Shayna, put her over at SummerSlam. And I'm asking for one thing, one thing only. Fight pit. Women's fight pit in SummerSlam. Ronda and Shayna, let's get it on. The third match of the night for the Intercontinental Championship, Gunther versus Matt Riddle. And this match was very short. They told a really good story. It was a very physical matchup where Gunther and Matt were working. Matt had a uh, had an ankle injury, and Matt ended up. Uh, Matt Riddle fought hard, fought on that ankle. They told a good story on it. Gunther has just overpowered him, did a really good job. The power of Gunther. And a very physical matchup, and Matt Riddle ends up tapping out to an ankle injury. Gunther stands in the middle of the ring, and all of a sudden, Drew McIntyre's music hits. Drew McIntyre comes out to a huge ovation. Michael Cole has the call. There is a pissed-off Scott here in London. And Gunther and Drew get face-to-face. Gunther shoves him. Uh, Drew McIntyre hits his Glasgow Kiss hair butt, then hits a Claymore, nips up, and holds the IC title up. So it looks like we're getting Gunther versus um, Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. Again, I think Gunther's been a great champion. I can't wait to see Gunther get a world title. I can't wait for him to get a run with the world heavyweight champ with a world title. I think Gunther's awesome. I'm a huge fan of Gunther, and I'm a huge fan of Drew McIntyre. I'm looking forward to they're going to have a match at SummerSlam, and I can't wait to be there. I can't wait. I cannot wait to be there live as a fan to, to, to get it to watch it live. I'm just excited. The fourth match tonight. This was teased that this was going to be the main event, and I knew it was bullshit. Cody Rhodes versus Dominic Mysterio. Dominic comes out. He's got heat. He's got mommy with him, Rhea Ripley. Cody comes out. He's over. And this was a f- match where Cody takes his cast off finally. Dominic um, and basically, as I uh, get an email for no reason, I do not care. Uh, as you can see, Cody and Dominic start working. And basically was Cody showed that why he's a main event guy. And Dominic is a heel, a chicken shit heel. And Dominic got his ass kicked. And Cody made short work of Dominic in eight minutes and beat him one, two, three in the middle of the ring. Obviously, we know we're going to get Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar SummerSlam. I get it. Dominic's one of those heels where he can lose every night and still be have so much heat. So it doesn't hurt Dominic to lose. Money in the bank for the women's championship contract, whatever. We have Becky Lynch, Eo Sky, Trish Stratus, Selena Vega, uh, Bailey, and Zoe Stark. And I called this one again. Um, I didn't think I made a predict. I forgot to make a prediction card last week on the show, but I had a feeling Eo Sky would win it, and she won it. I thought it was an okay. Ma- I think this was actually the worst match of the whole night. I really thought. I'll take that back. The women's tag match was. None of these matches were considerably bad. I just thought that the women's tag titles and the 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 the, the, women, the two women's matches on here I thought were just lackluster. I thought they were lackluster. They were just missing some umph. That being said, I'm happy for EO to win it. I think she's going to be I think it was the perfect opportunity and I think I can't wait to see. They're going to give EO a run. Triple H was a fan of her in NXT obviously. We're going to see what she can do. This was the match that everybody was excited for. I mean, everybody was excited to see what they're going to do. Seth freaking Rollins versus Finn Balor for the World Heavyweight Championship. They kept this match short. Uh, Damian Priest came out, got involved, cost Finn the, the match, basically. Seth wins. I mean, they get they did the right thing here. Seth gets the win. Finn, they they had that confrontation earlier this week where Finn was trying to, to tell Rollins how he was, and it just didn't feel right. There was something mixing, and everybody knows what they're teasing. The Judgment Day breaking up. They're teasing that Damien is going to become a babyface, and they're going to get kicked out of the group because he's got that Money in the Bank thing contract. They're teasing that, and it's going to be an interesting, um, an interesting uh, situation going forward. Now we get to the main event. 
the bloodline, the bloodline civil war. I don't know if you want to talk about cinematic cinema. This is cinema. The Usos versus Roman Reigns and Solo Sokola. 32 minutes and 10 seconds. And they had so many things. It was like watching callbacks of 2020. You know, Jey Uso and Roman have a tussle. The crowd is against Roman. Roman's losing his mind. Solo Sokoa looks like a dominant badass in this. They get heat on Jimmy. Jay comes in, makes a comeback. They cut Jay off. Uh, Roman, um, the, you know, the referee spot gets teased. Roman and Solo take over, and they get they they Roman hits a spear on Jimmy. Or, no, Solo hits a spike on Jimmy, then Jay gets speared and spiked by Roman. Roman goes for a snack him, stack him, pin him. The ref makes a slow count, gets a kick out. Roman's facials. And if you go back and watch this, you can see Solo's facial, like how disappointed it was. And it was Solo. He went in there and started like, come on, we got we to gotta finish these guys. Solo gets put through a table. He's wiped out. Reigns hits a spear on Jay. The ref goes for a one, two, three. And Jay kicks out, but he hits a low blow on Roman. You go back to Night of Champions 2020, Roman's first world title defense of his reign against Jey Uso. And he, Jay had Roman pinned, and Roman did that a low, low spot. You go back, and like that was what it was. That was great. They did a callback to the Hell in a Cell where Jay, Jimmy was, in the, 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 was getting choked, was in the front face lock, choked out by Roman, the guillotine or whatever. That be, I mean, it was just a damn, it was just a damn good match. And then all of a sudden, Roman gets kicked twice. He's wiped out. Solo's wiped out. Jay climbs the top rope, hits a splash, and pins were in one, two, three in the middle of the ring. The first guy in three and a half years to pin Roman Reigns was Jay Uso, and it made sense. Now a lot of people online, and I'm gonna talk about this, but I'm gonna give it for this match was five. I'm not a guy who got the five star match. To me, that is the best match that I have seen all year long. That was what I, as a wrestling fan. That you want a story told, believability, you felt the grudge, you felt everything. That is professional wrestling. And that that is why Roman Reigns, the Usos, and Solo, that bloodline angle, with Heyman involved in this too. They had been at the top since 2020 when they started this whole thing in the Thunderdome, Thunderdome during COVID, the pandemic. And this is what it was. And look what it's gone to. And we're having a... Tribal Chief Trial on Friday night on SmackDown at Madison Square Garden, and I will be watching. I am just ecstatic at what we have gotten, and I'm just I'm just happy with the, what we saw. The Uso standing tall. The, the, it was the right guy. Jay was the right guy to pin Roman. And obviously, we're going to go Jay to Roman at SummerSlam for the world title. And it, it's, it's the right call. That being said, as I take a sip of my Mountain Dew, where do I think Money in Bank lands? On scale, as an A to F grade, where would I put it? I would put this as solid as I can, a solid A. I thought it was a great show. The women's matches were lackluster. They were missing some, but they, the girls, they weren't really bad matches. Just something was missing. Outside of that, I had a great time. And that main event set the tone, baby. It was great. Now, to the people online that were bitching about, there's this guy that's on Twitter and um, Insta, Twitter and TikTok. His name is JD from New York. JD from New York is a wrestling critic. He he has his own podcast and he's done a lot of you know he has a lot of hot takes. He's very he's he he believes in what he says. And I've had my issues with him, like he gives a fuck. But there's a lot of things I agree with him. There's a lot of things I disagree with him. Now I will say this: he did mention that with Jey Uso pinning Roman Reigns. Cody Rhodes stored the request for a world title is over. That's not true. Because there's been a lot of guys that have been world champions that have taken pinfalls in tag matches in certain situations or non-title matches have taken pinfalls and they've gotten their win back. I mean, I can name it. Hulk Hogan lost a non-title match to Lex Luger. Luger gets a world title shot. He beats him. Hogan wins the title back days later. How many times did Ric Flair take a pinfall in a six-man tag match with a horseman and he ended up getting his win back? I can name guys. How many times did you watch on a heel champions like Triple H get pinned on Monday Night Raw or this guy get pinned on this way and everything happens where they he get they get their win back? It means something. So Roman and Jerry got a headline SummerSlam in, in Ford Field in Detroit. But Roman's going to get his win back. Jay's not going to beat Roman. Like, here's the thing. It would be a great story if Jay were to beat Roman. 
for the world title. But then what are you going to do with Jay? Is Jay going to be one of those? Jay's going to be a guy that's going to get, you know Jay's not going to be the guy long term. Whoever beats Roman is going to get a six to eight month title reign. Whoever beats Roman is going to get a run. So you really think Jay Uso is going to get a six to eight month title reign? I love Jay and Jimmy, but there's it's not going to work. In my opinion, you got you have to sit down that roster and look at the guys who can beat Roman Reigns. And here are some guys, and I mean, off the top of my head, you've got Cody Rhodes, you've got Gunther, you can have Drew McIntyre possibly, you can probably bring Braun Breaker in and give him an opportunity. Damian Priest cashes in possibly. You have to have somebody that is credible enough to get a shot to beat Roman Reigns. And at this time, Jay's not that credible. Yes, he pinned Roman in a tag match. One-on-one's different. So I'm looking forward to SummerSlam, and I am just ecstatic. What we've th- and here's another thing: I know a lot of fans online are going back and forth on you know AEW WWE fans go back and forth all the time. And I'm there's that Facebook page on AEW fans say what I mean they they do there's a lot of dumb things they say. That being said, and this is just you know me as a, a fan <clears throat> and as a wrestling fan. Can we get along, please? As I've been, I am critical of WWE. I just think WWE is doing a lot of great things. I mean, you watch Monday Night Raw sometimes, it's hard to get through three hours. But SmackDown is well produced. NXT has been washed for a while now. But AEW has got rid of their dark shows, and they have three television shows. They have, there are out seven days a week. Once every quarter, we get an AEW pay-per-view. Monday nights, we have Raw. Tuesday nights, we have NXT. Wednesdays, we have Dynamite. Thursdays, we have Thursday. We uh, Thursday we have Impact, I believe, is on Impact Wrestling, which I think deserves more credit. Impact does a great job on Thursdays with what they got. And then Friday nights, you get Rampage and SmackDown. Then Saturdays, you get Collision and a WWE pay-per-view. Like, what else? Why, are we, why do we have to go back and forth? Now, there's a lot of things that I, I will say that fits hit the head on. AEW's booking needs to get better. They need to stop. You know, they need to do better things on promotion. They need to do a lot of things. I get it. And WWE has to get their bullshit figured out with Endeavor and Vince and everything else. I know. But, guys, for the first time since 2001, we have options. TNA was an option, but it really was never came to the forefront because of fucking Dixie Carter and Vince Russo and Panda Energy and that whole thing. We have a chance now where a billionaire does not answer to nobody who has his own company in AEW, and we got Endeavor back in WWE, and their business is phenomenal right now. Can we sit back and enjoy it for once in our life and just be fans and enjoy the product? That's all I got to say about that. So that being said, what do I have to talk about today at the end of the podcast? What did I have to speak on that everybody's talking about? Well, as you know, as a professional wrestling fan, I have always been... I've always thought of new ideas. And given, remember I did a, a watch along for my match of the year last year with uh, Roman Reigns and, I know it was uh, the Briscoes and FTR on the double dog collar match. I did my watch along for it and there was no sound. Doing some research, you can watch a professional wrestling match on your program if you're doing live commentary on it, as long as you're not making a profit off of it. That being said, so once a month now, I am going to do an anniversary, a big match from a year, an anniversary, whatever. That's what I'm going to do on this this program. Like, for example, last week on June 28, 25 years ago, a wrestling match that defines the industry to this day happened. King of the Ring 1998, Hell in a Cell, The Undertaker versus Mankind. And I'm going to play this match with a lot for audio here on DailyMotion.com. I'm going to play it and I'm going to give you my thoughts and commentary on it as it's playing. There's a 28-minute, 11-minute match. Uh, there's a, a video of 28 minutes, 11 seconds. And I fast-forwarded through a pre-tape interview and shit promo of 221 to the uh, fast-forwarding of this one of my favorite matches and one of the matches that makes me a fan of this day. Here we go. June 28, 1998, Hell in a Cell, Undertaker versus Mankind. And for some some reason, it skipped all the way back. So let me pull it back a little bit. Let's pull this back just a little bit. Here we go. Oh, 
Howard Finkel on the call. I love when JR used to do that old rundown on clips on guys. JR used to do that shit. It was just awesome in my opinion. Like JR would do that and just like, wow. King with his great commentary on that. is coming out. How to get that in. give a background on this a lot of people don't know this but Taker actually had a broken foot during this match if you watch Taker he's he's kind of leaning on his foot a little like leaning on his opposite foot and it's very uh, it just shows the passion of these guys working through injuries and shit Taker had a broken foot in this and worked this match with a broken foot so another little side story to tell you all Here. Undertaker fighting back. He's fighting back. They're running, folks. And I don't 
that is why when you do stuff like this, it's you watch this and just like how did Mick get up from that to the point where it's just like what the fuck. I, I, Twenty five years later, I'm still flabbergasted by it. You know, you think about this, like you think as a kid, I remember I was five years old watching with my dad, and I thought this was over. There's no way. And Funk out there, Vince is concerned. Like, this is legitimately issues. Like, you hear Terry going, Cactus, you need to get on the stretcher. Cactus, you need to get on the stretcher. This is when you go back and look like how and why this happens. You see Taker trying to climb down here with a bad foot. You can tell he's trying to get his footing. 
Get some big ass feet going those little holes in the cage. By the way, the old arena, so this is the old Civic Arena, the Igloo in Pittsburgh, an old school arena from the Northeast, so it makes more nostalgic. It mix up now. Here we go. So the, I just want to play those two falls for you guys, and now I'm just going to do the live watch along for you. Taker jumps down the ring, and Funk's in the middle of the ring, and Taker fucking chops the Funk. Now, doing a, a look back on this, they were stalling time for Mick to get on his feet, and Funk takes a choke slam for his ride. And Taker now is going to walk around, and Funk is kicking his damn shoes off. And Funk... Is going to be thrown out of the ring. And Taker, if you see, when he comes down from the top of the cage, when he j jumps down, he see him land generally on his feet. He flicks his hair back. The fact that, that first the first fall was rough, but the second one was worse because people don't realize how hard a wrestling ring is. And Mick having that chair knocked down and uh, knocked, came down in his mouth and hit him in the face. And then you see Taker stands up, punch him, and Mick just falls down. I mean, the commentary on this is just... What makes Jr. and Jerry, Jerry, Jerry call, ugh, Jim Ross and Jerry Law are calling it my announced team of my childhood, and you see, you know Taker, you tell Taker said he bent down when he said Mick, let's go home, which is a say to end the match, and you can just Taker standing up and it's just Mick is just let me turn this just up a little bit for you guys. And it's just, and right there, there's a little nut shot. Taker is just, now they're locking it up. Now they're locking him in the cage. And there's that famous shot. I'm going to pause this. If you can, guys can pause it with me too if you want to. But actually go back. I actually missed the shot. But the shot was Mick was sitting there smiling. Mick actually said he wasn't smiling. He was just pushing his, his lip out to make it look like he was because he couldn't smile. <laughs> <laughs> and Mick's going to run, cut Taker off. Taker goes face first into the cage. And now Taker's on the ground. He's moving around. You know, Mick is holding his arm. Obviously, Mick's probably got a dislocated shoulder. I think he had a dislocated shoulder that night. And, and the fact that this thing is going on, you would think, how is Mick? Now, Mick's going to walk over here. He's going to try and pick the stairs up, the steel stairs up. He goes pick up. These things weigh about 50 pounds, and he can't pick it up. He just drops it. Shoulder hurts too bad. And Taker's going to pick it up. He flips it over. Mick's walking away. He's got a tooth lodged in his fucking nose still. And then, bam, right in his shoulder. And Mick gets hit again. Mick bounces off the fence. And there's a second time. Mick goes down. As a kid, you're watching this and you're going like, how is Mick? And it's 25 years and it's crazy how time flies. Mick was 33 at the time when this happened. And everybody knows Mick retired full-time shortly after this. He came back and worked part-time matches, but he was really much as a full-time performer. He retired a year and a half later. That's how the toll this match took on him. Taker, you know, had a 30-year run and had an incredible run, but Taker said it took this match took a lot out of him too. 
with him having a broken foot and some of the things they did. I mean, they now take now Mick was worse for wear, but obviously, you know, a match like this, it takes it takes time off your career. And now Taker's gonna do a suicide dive through the ropes and he goes face first in the cage. And now we're gonna get some color, some blood on Taker. Taker's gonna bleed a little bit here, which is always great because blood turns to money. I love blood in wrestling. It should be anyway. And now it gives a chance for Mick to get some offense in. And now they got some work. Ted White, rest in peace as an official, really good referee. He actually, his career was ended because of a Hell in a Cell match. He actually tore his shoulder up and it ended his career. And I think it was Chris Jericho and Triple H's Hell in a Cell match, Judgment Day 2002. Pretty underrated Hell in a Cell match. Doesn't get a lot of credit. Mick Stone take her into the cage. This fence. And now the old school, ah, rake his face into the cage and he's got blood, the visual. That's good wrestling. That's wrestling. That's wrestling right there. Mick's going to crawl back in the ring now. And Taker staggering around, selling a point. Good stuff. Taker, like you see Taker using those steps in the ring. You can tell he's leaning on that foot. Mick's got a chair in the middle of the ring. And what's he going to do? Is he going to do a, nope, he's going to do his famous pull the tights power driver and spikes him. And Taker take a well. Good thud. JR's commentary is just great in this. One, two, and we get a two count. Good false finish. That's the first pinfall of the match, I believe. There's that visual shot of the cell with the igloo. Mick's now going to pound on take a little offense in. And, you know, JR's commentary, and this is just how he is. And now Mick's going to lay Taker down. He puts the chair on his face. And he's going to hit that left-legged leg drop of his. Bam! Taker's laying there flat, dead, comatose. Mick rolls over, puts his arm over him. One, two, and Taker gets his shoulder up. Now, you got to realize, I know I, I bitch a lot about false finishes, but if you look at the way they're being covered, well, he should have not kicked out of that if you're going to bitch about this, but he had an arm over him. It, you know, as much as that is, Taker is the dead man. You know, these guys were believability with some of the things they did. Mick now going for his patented double arm DDT. I think he's the creator of that. Taker's laying in the middle of the ring. He's flat. Mick is now grabbing the bottom rope. He slides out. And you look here closely. There are people in that aisle that right there sitting down. They are standing up. And Mick has got the big bag. And we're going to play the audio on this a little bit for you guys. So, Mick's pounding, punch you taker in the face. They're teasing and leaning, leaning, leaning. Mick comes off. Taker goozles him by the throat. You think, okay, he's in right. Mick kicks him. Taker hits a big boot. Mick staggers back to the ropes. And Taker goes to pick him up. And Mick's got the manimal call on him. And you got to realize, Mick came off that ropes and Taker just scooped him up like he was nothing. That's <laughs> Mick is 300 pounds. Obviously, Mick's got to help him, but still, like, shit. Mick got his shoulders up, and Taker's trying to reach for the ropes, and they're going to do the famous Mick's going to straddle him on his back, put a little pressure on him. Taker's fading. And remember, Mick was the first guy that kind of knocked The Undertaker out. King of the Ring 1996, he beat him with the minimal call finish. Taker passed. Taker didn't tap out, but he he passed out. That's the first, He's the first guy, technically, to knock Taker out. And they're doing the arm rolling. Drops the arm once. Now it's twice. Now we're going to go for a third one. And no. Taker grabs him. And Taker's going to lift his ass up. And he backs. Backs. You see Taker leaning on that foot. Trying to get his footing. And bam. Drops him in the tax. And Mick rolls in it for good measure. <laughs> Because that's Mick Foley. Taker, you can tell, is staggering. He's trying to get to his footing. And Mick is like a, he's a human pin cushion. 
Mick and look, and Mick's grabbing ropes to get up because he knows he can't pull himself up. His shoulders and shit. And Taker trying to get to his feet. Mick's the first one to his feet. Mick turns, Taker's up, and Taker meets him. Big goes one. Taker used to grab you by the throat. It meant something, and a big choke slam in the middle of text. And that one was good. You see Mick just grimace, grimace in pain. And now the crowd stand on their feet. They know what time it is. Taker the slash of the throw. He's going. He's calling for the tombstone. Scoots Mick up like a bag of potatoes. He got Mick centered. Gets him caught and. Boom! Tombstone pile driver. One, two, three. And I love at the end of this is the match because people standing, the match is over. Mick kicks his leg out, just kicks his leg out, just to show, like, hey, I still got fight left in me. And you see, like JR says, we just wish, wish uh, we've just witnessed something that we'll never see again. I remember there's a call at this, it's like, I'm going to end this video now. There's a call at the end of this match where Taker walks out. He walk. He's walking away, and Jr. talks about how slowly he's walking away. Now, guys, I won't be playing audio like that all the time. I just wanted to play a little bit of the clips on that. But once a month, we're going to do a live watch along on not a live watch along, but a watch along on the podcast that you guys can listen to. Basically, what it is I will show you what the site is, where to watch it at, how, what the time to start watching it. That way, you can get a feel for what it is. Just something new to do with the podcast. Like, once again, there was the copyright issues. I'm not doing this for a profit. I'm doing this just strictly. I don't own anything. It was just me playing some audio clips. So, anyway. So, that being said, like I said, this will be the last Wednesday edition of Conversation with Shelby Green. I appreciate you guys always supporting me, but we're going to Thursdays now. It's just a better time slot for everybody. And like I always say, from the bottom of my heart as I close this show, I don't bullshit. I just tell it like it is straight up. Have a good one, y'all.